The following Teisho by Shinge Roshi, Roko Sheri Shayet, was recorded at Dai Bosatsu Zendo Kangoji in the Catskill Mountains. This recording is part of a series on the Mumukan, the Gateless Gate Koan Collection. They are offered for free. We welcome your financial support. To contribute and for further information, please visit www.zenstudies.org or www.zencenterofsyracuse.org. Thank you. Mumonkan Case 10. Seize is utterly destitute. A monk named Seize said to Sozan, I am utterly alone and destitute. I beg you for your support. Sozan said, Seize. Seize answered, Hai. Sozan said, You have finished three cups of the finest wine in China, and yet you say you have not even moistened your lips. Mumon's comment. Seize assumed a poverty-stricken attitude, but what was his motive? Sozan had eyes to see and thoroughly discerned the monk's state of mind. Even so, tell me, at what point did Seize drink the wine? Mumon's verse. Poverty like hontons, a spirit like Ko's. Although he had no way of earning a living, he dared compete with a rich man. Looking at the beautiful altar today, I was reminded of a poem that Nyogen Senzaki wrote, January 10th, 1946. When I bow before the altar, offering Buddha a bunch of daffodils, the fragrance of the flowers fills the sleeves of my robe.
Spring has at last come to Daibosatsu Mountain. Trees are no longer quite so bare. The leaf buds open more each day. And with this Nyogen Senzaki session, we are paying homage to his inspiring life. It was a difficult life, often harrowing. It was really a life that serves as a model for us when we are feeling really down and overwhelmed and insecure and lonely and miserable and lost and hopeless and ashamed and frustrated. Let me think, oh, so disappointed in myself or in another. And Yogan Senzaki embodied the simultaneity of being alone and utterly destitute and completely satiated with three cups of the finest Dharma wine. As most of you know, he was found as an infant at the side of his mother's dead body. And this was in 1876, and it was very close to the border where there were hostilities between Japan and Russia. And that war finally broke out in 1904, but there were many soldiers stationed there. We don't know really what happened, but one thought is that his mother may have been raped by Russian soldier and perhaps banished from her village. In any case, when you look at Nyogen Senzaki's face, it's not completely Japanese could be, as he said, sometimes Chinese, sometimes Russian, Mongolian. Interestingly, it's been 53 years yesterday, May 7th, since his passing in 1958 
And Yogan Senzaki was in this country for 53 years. So this is the only Yogan Senzaki session at which we have his 53 years in the United States and 53 years from his passing to this very moment. When he first came to the United States in 1905, he had planned only to stay for a short time just to raise funds for his mentorgarten in his native village, the school that he established to teach the fundamentals of Buddha Dharma along with secular subjects to young people. And only one trip back to Japan in all those 53 years, quite late in life. And as I say, poverty was his constant companion, loneliness for much of the time, even incarceration as a Japanese national during World War II at Hurt Mountain Camp. So what started out as a a perhaps ill-conceived fundraising venture to come here became realization of his unshakable faith in this practice and sowing the seeds of Zen Buddhism in America. We, in fact, can consider him the first patriarch of American Zen. In 2008, we brought out the book Eloquent Silence to commemorate the 50th anniversary of his passing and to requite his work in America. And the first section of the book is composed of his commentaries on the Mumonkan. So each Teisho this session, I will include some of his teachings on the case in question. I started doing Teisho's on the Mumonkan from the first case on this year when I began as abbot. So many old friends, these koans, from the no-gate barrier. 
Most of us know them, some of us know them quite intimately, and yet they're always fresh. There's always some new understanding. Just as each sitting, each session. If we're not hung up on old baggage, is completely new, ever changing. So today, case 10, we have Sozan Honjaku, who lived from 839 to 901, so he was only 62 when he died. And he was a disciple of Tozan Yokai, one of the great masters of the Soto school. The two of them, Sozan and Tozan, their names were joined to form Soto Zen school. And perhaps we might feel that his approach to Seize in this koan has a kind of softness, but his response is absolutely fitting. So Seize, this monk, comes to him and says, I'm utterly destitute. Of course, this is not referring to worldly possessions. Seize is coming from a spiritual condition of having nothing, being nothing, acquiring nothing, depending on nothing. Ada Roshi once said about Nyogen Senzaki, where did he come from? We don't know. What did he do? Nothing. Where did he go? Nowhere. That is why 50 years after his departure, everyone knows about him. He said this at dinner following the transmission ceremony for Genjo Ocean. Senzaki himself seems to have had a special fondness for this koan. Many times in his letters, he railed against the Japanese establishment, scolding the priests for their attachment to expensive habits. That's a pun. Finery, a love of good drink and other such things, and their hypocrisy. In the letter that he wrote, to his teacher, Sain Shaku. 
says, It is the life of an itinerant monk, not a hallowed calling that carries on Buddha's teaching to save all beings. And yet monks' conversations revealing their total disregard for morality make me ashamed to be in their midst. Then he said, ordination teachers live as lay people do, raising successors just to secure a comfortable retirement. Every year or two, they hold a hundred-day monastic confinement to conduct a perfunctory religious ceremony at which some senior monks receive the title of master and a permit to don a silk robe. With their Dharma transmission ceremony, they are given a colored kesa and a license. They then shout their sutras at funerals and show off their dazzling costumes at religious gatherings. I would never for the life of me descend to their level. I would rather adhere to my grandfather's advice and to my original aspiration, continuing my study while working as a cook or cleaning monk. And in my introduction to Eloquent Silence, I wrote... Polishing wisdom and virtue and teaching Buddha's Dharma with elite motifs of Nyogen Senzaki's life. He had a rare purity of intent and an unswerving dedication to the ideals his grandfather had imparted to him. Indeed, his impatience with those who put on a show of piety while indulging their basest instincts kept him from ever joining that, quote, pack of tigers and wolves, motivating him instead to seek the life of a homeless monk. He lived among ordinary people as a mentor, not as a temple priest. Nyogen Senzaki translates utterly destitute in this case, as alone and poor. And his commentary begins, bodhisattvas, always he would address his students that way. Bodhisattvas. A monk is always alone and poor. A monk who has a family and a savings account is not a monk. Japanese Buddhist teachers these days all have families and naturally they cannot afford to be poor. The term monk means novice in the Buddhist circles of modern Japan. One who remains a mere monk for more than 60 years as I have will be stamped a failure. It proves how Japanese Buddhism has degenerated and has become commercialized. In this koan, Sozan the teacher and Seize the student are both monks, so naturally each is alone and poor. What the student asked of the teacher 
was an immaterial treasure, the wisdom of Buddha Dharma. Therefore, he said, Seize is alone and poor. Will you give him support? He meant, I have never met a good teacher and have worked alone for my emancipation. Please impart your wisdom to me. He was not looking for comfort or pleasure. He was not seeking fame or glory. He had even given up the desire to accumulate knowledge through book learning. He was on the verge of accepting Zen beyond intellectualism. He was really alone and poor, both materially and spiritually. Sozan, the teacher, called out to him, Seize! Sozan just called his name, and Seize responded, Yes, sir. The switch was turned on, and in no time there was the light of Zen. Sozan had nothing to impart to Seize. There was just a tiny catch that had kept the switch from turning on. That was an idea of alone and poor. An idea of, I am on the verge of accepting Zen. As I always say, when you recognize that you are going to enter into samadhi, you are just leaving it. Sozan said, you have already finished three cups of the best wine in China. Zen. And still you are saying that you have not even wet your lips. These words allowed the attainment of Seize. So if we take Seize's statement, utterly destitute, literally, we might think he's talking about the aftermath of some terrible occurrence such as the many that have been happening all over the world in recent weeks in which everything is swept away. Earthquake, tsunami, floods, tornadoes, or severe drought and intensive flooding going on threatening the world's food supply. From another point of view, we might see Seize's statement as descriptive of the condition of being spiritually bereft, of being in the dark night of the soul, 
as the Carmelite mystic St. John of the Cross termed it. What is real spiritual poverty? Meister Eckhart said, as long as you will to do God's will and yearn for eternity and God, you are not really poor, for he is poor who wills nothing, knows nothing, and wants nothing. And many of you know the famous Zen verse in the Zen Kushu. Last year's poverty was not yet real poverty. This year's poverty is, for the first time, poverty indeed. We come to session very rich, rich in concepts, rich in preferences, rich in ideas about how it's going to be, what we should be doing, what we need, strategies for getting what we want. Most of us, however, are stuck in a poverty mentality of a very different kind. Not spiritual poverty. Poverty mentality. We feel terrible sense of lack being found fear, fear of this being found wanting. But that's to recognize this is to turn to a different kind of poverty. To realize, as Bob Dylan put it, when you ain't got nothing, you got nothing to lose. Recently, someone I know who's practiced for about two decades told me I've lost my way I don't feel that there's anything there I call out and there's no answer I no longer have faith in my practice person was feeling utterly destitute. And it can happen and has happened 
to many of us, I'm sure. It's like we're riding along. Suddenly, a huge hole opens up in the pavement in front of us. The road has collapsed. Maybe due to an earthquake. Maybe some inner rot of long-held, stagnant beliefs. And suddenly, swallowed up. No way back. Nothing to depend on. This person who was talking to me went on to say, nothing works. And in the midst of saying that, realized nothing works. Nothing. Most of us can relate to this kind of spiritual crisis. And if not, wait a minute. There's a book called Lying Awake by Mark Salzman. It's a fictional account of a Carmelite nun. And she is at a point where she felt her heart was squeezed dry. God thirsted, but she had nothing to offer. The Gregorian melodies sung without harmony sounded like dirges. Her arms ached, her back felt sore, and she was hungry. There was no shade, no shelter, no water. Her first six years as a nun had passed quickly. A contemplative had to relearn nearly everything, from how to walk, to how to eat, to how to think. She had to master hundreds of rituals and traditions until they became second nature orient herself to the liturgical calendar and train herself to read, pray, and even remember with her heart as opposed to her mind. She went to bed every night exhausted and woke up every morning hungry, which taught her to place less emphasis on comfort. The rigorous daily schedule, which seemed to allow for no personal freedom, taught her to measure freedom differently. In religious life, everything was turned either upside down or inside out. 
To gain, one had to lose everything first. The only path to victory was through surrender. To become full, one had to become empty. Then he writes about something that happened. Something buried so deep inside her that she had forgotten it was there rose to the surface. How long, O Lord, will you forget me? How long will you hide your face? Loneliness, the hole in the center of being. Look at me. Answer me, Lord, my God. The response came in the form of understanding, and it came all at once, as if a dam had burst in her soul. Her search for God had been like a hand trying to grasp itself. God, who is infinite, cannot become present because He can never be absent. And she said, You were here all along. St. John of the Cross, after whom this Carmelite nun named herself, Sister John, said this, Although this night brings darkness to the spirit, it does so in order to illumine it and give it light. Although it humbles it and makes it miserable, it does so only to exalt it and to raise it up. And although it impoverishes it and empties it of all natural affection, and attachment, it does so only that it may enable it to stretch forward divinely and thus to have fruition and experience of all things, both above and below, yet to preserve its unrestricted liberty of spirit in them all. We might say that we are here to experience the dark night of the soul, courageously to enter into this, to tumble into the well and hurdle every down, ever downward is, of course, terrifying. And yet, essential. Everything God. No more strategies, no more gradations on the path, no more path. All the teachings, God, even the Four Noble Truths. As the Heart Sutra we chant each day tells us, 
gone. No suffering, no craving, no extinction, no path. To experience despair, completely giving up hope, surrendering to whatever circumstances we find ourselves in is really an essential part of our maturation, not only as Zen students, as human beings. We must, as those entering hell and Dante's inferno, we must abandon hope, all ye who enter here. I often think that should be what is written over the door of Zen temples. Abandon hope, all ye who enter here. Hope, what is that? Maybe it'll get better. Maybe there'll be some progress. Maybe I won't have to deal with what I'm dealing with now. A new illusion, the biggest delusion. And of course, Hakuin's calligraphy for Great Doubt Zendo at Ryutakaji is just this. Daigi do, Great Doubt Zendo. Doubt everything. All your ideas about what Zen is. Doubt, doubt, doubt. Ceaseless questioning. It's not this. It's only called this as Diamond Sutra tells us or in the Lankavatara Sutra things are not what they seem nor are they otherwise. Give up. To give up all our notions about gaining something, attaining something, achieving something, grasping something, just entering into the black hole of great doubt. This is being utterly destitute. This, as Rinzai puts it, is deprivation. So evidently, Seize had experienced this deprivation 
です Self-evaluating, his manipulating circumstances, just surrendered. Nothing to prove. With this nothing to prove mind, he went to Sozan to test himself and challenge the Sozan. I beg you for your support. What kind of support was he asking for? Is he asking for some kind of spiritual reassurance? I don't think so. wasn't seeking a handout or a leg up. I have nothing. What will you give me? Some of you may be reminded of Basho's staff, case 44 in the Mumon Khan, where Master Basho said to his disciples, if you have a staff, I will give you one. If you do not have a staff, I will take it away from you. And what did Jesus Christ say? To those that have, more will be given. To those who do not have, it will be taken from them. Mugen Senzaki, in his commentary on this case, quotes an exchange between Joshu and a monk. A monk asked Joshu, I have nothing in my mind. What shall I do now? Joshu said, throw it away. The monk said, since I have nothing, what can I throw away? Joshu said, well, then we'd better carry it away. And Senzaki says, here Joshu showed the monk his mistake of holding on to the idea of nothingness. Sozan used the same method to wake up this student. Sozan must now deprive Seize 
of his nothing. You have nothing? Then I will take it from you. So, to Seize's request, please give me your support, Sozan says. Seize! And Seize replies immediately, Hi! Trust this. Yes! This exchange is the entire koan. Nothing lacking. Nothing superfluous. I beg you for your support. Say, say, fight. I am. To respond this way, simply, sincerely, directly, to whatever comes up in our lives. Height is really rare, isn't it? Really rare to be able to do this. Why? Because we don't have a mind that abides nowhere. We have a mind that is like a fly stuck to fly paper. Old conditioning. All kinds of ego-driven underpinnings. Whatever we look at, I find that whatever thoughts or distractions come up during Zazen, if I really look at them, beneath the surface of the storyline is always this ego entity. It keeps bouncing back. Some of you may remember, if you're old enough, maybe I still have them today, I don't know, but one of the most low-tech, maybe no-tech, I should say, no-tech toys that we used to play with was a little round rubber, red rubber ball on a, an elastic cord stapled to a flat paddle. And you would pick the little ball and go up and down. How many of you remember playing with these? I guess you have to be a certain age. Anyway... This egocentricity is like that ball. It's always bouncing back, bouncing back, and we don't seem to know how to just put the paddle down on the ball or snip the cord. And that's, of course, what session is, right? Snipping. Enough. Stop your crazy paddling with the ball. Immediately... Something comes up while we're sitting. Maybe we remember something. Maybe someone said something to us, some criticism to us, right? You shouldn't have, whatever. Why didn't you? And immediately we feel so stunned. We translate the criticism into what? You're unworthy. 
right? You can't just let it go. Now I'm seen as unworthy. The entire storyline develops. You come up with all sorts of inner retorts, justifications. They swirl around. They bounce up and down. Ever more twisted convolutions of narration. Act. A simple height. No problem. It's all that's required. Then what? It's finished. What's done is done. Said is said. What more need we seek? When the almighty I isn't trying to direct the universe, and there's nothing in the way, there's nothing extra added, then we can taste the wine and smell this special incense. See those daffodils. Experience the feeling of the buds that are opening on the branches. How rich this nothing. Hi. Yes. To it all. Not, well, I'll take this part, but I don't like that part. Just, yes. brings us right back to this very place, this very body, which has no form, no substance, no unchanging, fixed, separated identity, and therefore is without any limits. So says he, says, I have nothing. I am empty. How will you save a poor wretch like me? Zozan first throws him back to himself. Says he. And says he's right there. Right there to catch. Hi, returns the serve over the net. Sozan then goes on. To rob him of his professed emptiness. You have finished three cups of the finest wine in China, and yet you say you have not moistened your lips? You say you are empty? You say you have nothing? I'll take that nothing from you. You're full of it. Full of what? Masterful parry, implying what both that Seize was full of shit for professing to be empty and also 
full of it. Boy. Those three cups of the finest wine. Three treasures. Which not one of us is ever apart. Mumon's comment. Seize assumed a poverty-stricken attitude, but what was his motive? Sozan had eyes to see and thoroughly discerned the monk's state of mind. Even so, tell me, at what point did Seize drink the wine? Seize professed to be empty, assumed an attitude. In other words, he put forth his empty condition to challenge Sozan, and Sozan could see immediately what was going on. Yes, Seize had had the experience of entering into this emptiness, profound stillness, the void. But what about now? Are you stuck in that void? Are you stuck in move? And then hearing, hi, testing further. Are you able to move freely in this world of phenomena? differentiation. You've already drunk three cups. Can you taste your life? Mumon then challenges us. At what point did Seize drink the wine? At what point? Is there a point? Temporal point? A location point? What about you? What about when someone calls your name? How do you respond? How do you manifest? How do you function in your life? Are you drinking the ambrosial nectar of this moment? Senzaki said, Momon himself is quite intoxicated with the wine of Zen. Come on, Momon, we belong to the temperance group. Join us this evening and have a cup of tea. Momon's verse. Poverty like Hantan's, a spirit like Ku's, although he had no way of earning a living. He dared compete with a rich man. Mumon is appreciating Seize's sneak attack, Seize's poverty, his immersion in rule, is compared to a story of a man in China in the second century who was invited to become governor, but declined in order to take care of his sick mother and eventually ended up as an impoverished fortune teller 
but evidently quite content. However, his wife and children had to live in a pushcart, so I don't know about how content they were. And then, Mumon says, he brings his poverty to Sozan with a spirit like Ko's. Ko was a third century general renowned for his brilliance in battle and for his courage and won every battle until finally he was defeated by the founder of the Han dynasty. And at the point of death, he sang of a spirit so mighty it covered the entire earth. Truly what it means to surrender to this beyond birth, beyond death. Mumon is saying, Seizei had great courage in coming to Sozan without a thing to show for himself. Poor in spirit. What spirit? He put himself in the way of Sozan's Zen. And Sozan richly manifested his dharma treasure. So, first day of session, here we are, drinking the fine wine of Zazen, lacking nothing, needing only to let go of everything we've been carrying around. Just moment by moment, let it all go. Let your regrets go. Let your preferences go. Let your opinions go. Let your indignation go. Let your blaming go. Let your naming go. Sweep it away. Surrender to your breath. Just this out 